Welcome to The Real Housewives of Riverdale, the podcast where grown-ass adults take sexy teen murder mysteries just as seriously as you do. I'm your host, Cherie, and today we are discussing Season 2, Episode 7 of Riverdale, Chapter 20, Tales from the Dark Side. So spooky. This week's episode title refers to a TV show from the mid-80s running from 1983 to 88. The IMDb description is a horror anthology series where the viewer is taken through ghost stories, science fiction adventures, and creepy unexplained events. This actually sounds super fun. Like, getting a lot of Are You Afraid of the Dark vibes, which is the show that scared the ever-loving shit out of me every Saturday on SNCC, but I just kept coming back pretending that it wasn't scary. I watched a few episodes a couple of years ago, like when Teen Nick really became a thing, and it's still, like, that intro is still so scary. Like, it's so perfectly creepy. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Are You Afraid of the Dark, but we could for, like, hours, I'm sure. We're here to talk about this bonkers-ass episode of Riverdale, and it's amazing, and, you know, like, when I think about this episode, like, in retrospect, like, when it first aired, and I watched it, I'm like, oh, that's such a weird episode. Like, does anything really happen? I mean, I don't know. We kind of learned some stuff about a long time ago. We learned that Cheryl's weird as hell, but it's not like it doesn't really drive the plot a ton, you know? But when I rewatch it, it's amazing. Like, this is why I love this show. I mean, season two, especially the first half, is like rough. <laughs> it, it's it's hard to be a fan. And this episode in particular, it just, it totally brings me back to those season one feels that like, what is going on in this town? Oh my God, this is amazing. So I get ready to hear a lot of gushing. I am super enthusiastic. And I think we have a few new listeners here. So if you are tuning in for the first time or for one of one of the first times, um, just know that I record this podcast in my car during my lunch break. So (laughs) sometimes we go over and I have to come back the next day and wrap it up. So it might sound a little PC. And if I'm ever like, uh, there's someone beside me, it's, there's somebody like getting into a car beside me and I get like really insecure and (laughs) embarrassed because I'm talking into a microphone And I have these big-ass earphones on, um, headphones, I guess, and I'm trying super hard to look, like, inconspicuous, but it it doesn't work. I'm pretty sure all, like, 150 people that work with me know that I do this weekly, but um, it's still kind of weird. So, (laughs) um, that's just a note for you new guys. um, I'm a working mom. And I don't have a whole lot of time on my hands. So this is when I can do it. It's not studio quality. It's not This American Life. Sorry about you. (laughs) This is what we've got. But I am here for it. And we are here to talk about this. So this episode is presented in three segments. Which is apparently like the, uh, the old school horror anthology series that the episode got its name from. Which is really cool way to, you know, actually pull from your source. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't at all, sometimes the name just works, sometimes the source material is nothing that can be found on the internet anywhere. But let's get into this. So this episode opens with this like awesome scratchy recording saying, what you are about to witness are three twisted tales connected to the tragic and macabre events that befell the town of Riverdale, known as the Black Hood Murders are they though (laughs) they were all they were all the more tragic because those who bore witness to these terrible things are so young a seemingly random shooting quickly revealed itself to be the first in a series of gruesome attacks perpetrated by a hooded assailant these latest chapters began with the discovery of a letter from the black hood 
affixed to the door of Pop Tate's chocolate shop. Hey, thanks for some exposition, man. In like, in a super creepy way. Dude, I, we could have just cut into <laughs> um, said letter slash newspaper um, that everybody's reading. We didn't need all that stuff before, but you know what? It really brought some like ambiance, a real feel for what this episode is going to be. And I'm here for it. I love it. So we go from that super cool, super creepy film reel to Pops with the mayor and the sheriff. Um, then we cut to Cheryl and Josie in the music room at school and Archie and Veronica in the Andrews kitchen, all reading the Black Hood's letter in the newspaper. In the letter, the Black Hood takes responsibility for the death of Mr. Phillips, a.k.a. the Sugar Man. So the Black Hood has a new demand for the people of Riverdale. He commands the whole town to not sin for the next 48 hours or he will kill again. You know, commit, like, the number one sin. Okay, well, technically, like, the fifth sin if you're going off the Ten Commandments, but whatever. I digress. This guy is the most hypocritical motherfucker serial killer I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, um, I guess he is fictional, but still. So the next scene, oh my god, it's one that made me fist pump in the air, and I'm only <laughs> slightly ashamed to admit that. Um... <laughs> But Jughead and Betty are laying, obviously, in his bed, because everything's, like, poverty. <laughs> it's not the lush, pink frilliness of Betty's room. But, oh, it's so great. So, she's in his S shirt. Take that, Tony Topaz. Oh, my God. Her hair is all the way down. He has his beanie off. All the vulnerabilities. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> it's such a short bit, but, like his tattoo is showing and they're like snuggled and I'm not sure if she's wearing a bra or not. I'm not going to look too hard to tell, but it, it was, it was so great. First time around to be like, what? <laughs> um, and like, I feel pretty firm in my assessment that they didn't go all the way to the bone zone, but I'm guessing that they at least rounded third. That's just... That's what I'm guessing. I mean, she had to have had a reason to take her own shirt off. That's all I'm saying. I mean, maybe she just spent the night and needed clothes to sleep in. I don't know. Maybe she just needed a t-shirt because sleeping in a sweater is really uncomfortable. I'm just guessing. That's all. I'm just feeling like maybe she took her shirt off. That's all. Doesn't matter, though. We're talking about minors, and that's really creepy. So... Betty says that she thought she outsmarted the Black Hood by having Mr. Phillips arrested. She thought he would be safe in jail where the Black Hood couldn't get to him. But obviously he wasn't safe because the Black Hood came in and shot him. Jughead attempts to make her feel better by saying that it's true that Phillips didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve what was coming to him. But the fact is, he was a high school teacher that dealt drugs. And he tries to go on, but Betty cuts him off. She starts to say, like, how the hell did the Black Hood get in Mr. Phillips' jail cell? And she starts to trail off, but, oh shit, this is when we're like, could Keller be the Black Hood? Like, it, like I've had this theory from the beginning, because I just feel like they're so involved and he's such a bad cop. <laughs> Like, I kind of get Dexter vibes, but it's, uh, it's interesting. So because this is relatively close to the time Murder on the Orient Express was coming out in theaters, Jughead notices Betty looking really frustrated and says, what is it, Perot? Hmm. I like Nancy Drew better. She shoes it away, saying that she, it was just a crazy thought, but hold that epiphany, Bets. Jughead gets a call from the snake charmer herself, serpent attorney, Penny Peabody, Esquire probably. I don't know. I don't even know what that means, but she's calling in that favor. Jughead agrees to meet her at Pops while we, we can see Betty working out a theory in the background. And I, I just really do love this episode. Like that. you can see like all the inner working cogs in everybody's segment. And it's so fun. Like, you know, I don't know. It's just great. It's just great. I just love it. So Penny says the ghoulies beat up FP in the prison shower for the stunt that he and Archie pulled at the drag race, and they want payback. <laughs> Jughead has to pick up a crate. She calls it pancake mix, lol. But it might as well have drugs, 
bad, bad drugs spray painted on the side. Um, he has to pick it up on the south side from literal Boris and Natasha from Bullwinkle, I might add, and deliver it, the bad, bad drugs to an address in Greendale. Hope it's not Sabrina's address. Guys. Oh, there is going to be a spinoff about Sabrina taking place in Greendale. And I feel like this is probably when they announced that because there's a lot about Greendale in this episode. Um, but here's where we get our first segment title card. This first installment of the episode is titled Archie and Jughead. Even though most of the episode thus far has been about Jughead, but whatever, Archie's our boy, I guess. So before the drug stuff goes down, Jughead takes a little trip to his old high school. He goes back to Riverdale High to talk Archie into joining him when out of nowhere, just like we barely get into this fucking blessed goddess that she is Cheryl Cheryl Blossom pushes them out of the way she like walks right into their conversation even though there's a whole hallway behind them that she could have walked through she pushes through them it's, it's out of the way Bert and Ernie and Josie's like right on her tail so gee I wonder what that's about <laughs> once that glorious comment Comet passes. Jughead attempts to enlist Archie's help in his little drug trafficking homework, and Jug says that Archie owes him. He's like, You owe me after that little stunt you pulled at the drag race. So just repeating what Penny told him. And um and Archie's like, Yeah, yeah, whatever you need. I'm here for you because you're my best friend and I fucked up and I want to make it up to you. I don't want to lose you even more than I already have. And he's just like, he's a real good bro in this moment. So way to be Archie, but like kind of not. Cause we make some like really bad judgment choices here. He's like, just tell me the details and I'll be there. So Jughead says that it's tonight and we're probably going to need Fred's truck. And Archie starts to ask a question, but Jughead is like, shh, baby, no questions. The less you know, the better. No, no. Close your mouth. <laughs> I mean, not really, but so, so what? Later that night, they load up the crate and head towards Greendale. And apparently Archie has learned to drive in the last six episodes, you know, since he drove his dad to the hospital, but whatever. When their truck blows a tire, the boys debate over calling triple C or enlisting Kevin to help. And I just love the image of Archie kneeling down on the ground with a flashlight being like, yep, that tire's messed up. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Don't know what to do about it, but boy, howdy, is that a flat tire? <laughs> so I, I love that, like, Jughead has the brilliant idea to call Kevin because he's the only person they know with a truck. But, like, guys, yeah, yeah, let's just get the sheriff's son to help us in our drug trafficking. Oh, my God. But luckily, but also kind of not luckily, because this shit gets real weird, an old guy who IMDb has dubbed as Farmer McGinty, he pulls over to help. And this actor, his name is Tony Todd, and he is actually fairly famous for his work in horror films, or at least so IMDb has told me. You guys know I'm not a horror film person. I like creepy things. I don't like to be scared. I will cry. Um, and I like true crime because I don't know why. It should be more terrifying, but whatever. Um, so he played the Candyman in 92, and that's where I recognized him from, because I did try to watch that movie when I was like 12 or so, so it would have been uh, 98-ish when I rented it, and like I didn't make it 30 minutes into that movie. It was fucking scary as hell. Um, also, I was home alone, because I'm dumb. Um, but he was also in a 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead and just like a whole host of other horror films. So anyway, Farmer Candyman is willing to help the boys if they can pay up, if they can pay gas money, but he can only take one passenger. So Jughead volunteers, which like, dumb move, Jug, just be like, um, no, we'll wait for someone else to drive by because A, you're scary as shit, B, this is how I get, like, molested and murdered, and see, like, I'm pretty sure, like, Archie could squeeze in the middle, or at least Jug could squeeze in the middle, Archie could come, and, like, maybe they could both fight him off if he tried to attack them, I don't know, but, like, 
so many red flags. So, so many red flags. Also, there is like a really scary tarp in the back of his truck bed. He tells Jughead not to, uh, not to look under the tarp, boy. And, um, what the fuck is under that tarp is what we're wondering right now. Not good. Oh, this guy, <laughs> the candy man, he tells Jughead that he thought Archie was Jason Blossom just for a hot minute. And, and he says, no, you just never know on the road to Greendale. Ooh, spooky. And of course, this is when we get our Riverdale. Um, I almost think it kind of would have been funny if they had like the same like typewriter black card with a white font that just said like Riverdale. Um, but I mean, that's, that's off brand. That's just, it, you know, that time on how I met your mother when like Barney was in the intro and it was just like, Barney is the leader of the pack. Like, <laughs> I think that would have been really funny, but just me. They don't ask me these things. Um, I don't know why. It's not like I'm some, you know, anonymous girl in the oblivion with a whopping like four listeners on her podcast about Riverdale. I mean, gosh. So when we come back from commercial, we are still driving to Greendale and Farmer McGinty has turned on a talk radio station and it's apparently really loud. And the, the, it's like a gospel talk radio channel and who I assume is a preacher says the killer is doing God's work. And the whole thing makes everyone just like real uncomfortable. But what made, I feel like what makes a lot of people uncomfortable here in this scene is that like, there's something to be said about the villainization of black people here that just makes me think like we could have maybe had more of like an Alex Jones Infowars style radio show um, cause that's so like fresh right now. Everybody knows those like open wounds of, of, um, these like crazy people who are perpetrating hate across the nation. And I feel like they should have leaned into that because it's just, I don't know the, the whole, like having like a gospel feel to it. It's just, it's gross. And I feel like could have been handled better. Um, I don't know if that's just like a poor writing mistake or somebody was like hell bent on that, on using that. But I feel like, look, we've already got like Principal Weatherby who's scary as shit. Mary McCoy is like mean as fuck. Um, Chuck Clayton is a villain. He tries to be, you know, redeeming in this episode, which is wonderful. But up to this point, he's been a total villain. Um, We've now got the Candyman, and he's fucking terrifying, which, I mean, excellent work from this actor. Um, but we just keep adding layers to it, and it's like, guys, we can do better than this. I, I want to say it's 2018, we know better, but, like, it really shouldn't even matter what year it is. I don't care if it's 1852, like, everybody in their heart of hearts knows that, like, this is wrong you know. Anyway, just, uh, watch the scene, pull your collar to the side and be like, yeesh, because that's, that's the only way to get through it, really. Uh, hashtag Riverdale is problematic as fuck. God, I can't imagine why I didn't make it in musical theater. <laughs> so the Candyman adds, um, that it reminds, this whole Black Hood situation reminds him of the Riverdale Reaper. Who's that now, huh? Riverdale had another serial killer back in the day. And I mean, like, a fucking course it did. Apparently there were riots back in the day, too, we learned from Pop. So at a gas station, Jughead peeks under the tarp and spots some blood because he keeps hearing these loud-ass flies, which just reminded me of the bees in the Candyman, and I fucking can't deal with it. But he lifts the tarp a little higher, and it's a goddamn dead deer covered in flies. And is, is that the same deer that Archie saw because we get a little glimpse um, after Jughead leaves with this guy we get a glimpse of Archie just standing there uh, he's, he's gotten help from Triple C um, thank goodness and a deer with a gunshot wound stumbles out of the woods and walks across the road and it's very creepy but it just kind of makes you wonder if maybe this is 
this is the same deer because, after all, anything is possible on the road to Greendale. So, who knows? Either way, I want to barf. It was gross. Uh, Candyman comes out of the gas station, scaring the shit out of Jughead, and says, Hey, boy, let's go to the cafe over there. So, this cafe, diner, whatever, just makes Pops look like the fucking five seasons. Am I right? <laughs> it's just, it's not good. Uh, McGinty is still acting strange. He tells Riverdale the tale of the Riverdale Reaper, who was a guy who killed a family in their home, um, a mother, a father, and two children with a shotgun, and then he vanished. And they don't know if he just escaped, if a lynch mob got to him, what happened, but very spooky story how he goes room to room it reminds me of the Amityville horrors and I can't so um the waitress slams the check down (laughs) on the table scares everybody McGinty orders Jughead to pay but he's like I don't have any money I already gave you the $18 I had to my name I keep saying that in this episode and nobody seems to hear me that I am poor I have $18 to my name and I gave it to you for gas. So McGinty like stands up and starts declaring him and Archie sinners and warns that they might be the next to get killed. And holy shit, not good, not looking good. Luckily, Archie got his tire fixed and um, he comes in to the cafe. I don't know how, I guess he recognized the truck. I don't know. But he comes into the cafe and rescues Jughead from Farmer Ginty and the way pissed off waitress. She is not fucking having it anymore. She does not like this, but God damn it. She is getting paid. So Archie pays the bill and then they get the crate and they um, deliver it to a dimly lit Greendale warehouse where this is where we meet fucking Boris and Natasha from Bullwinkle. Um, this guy who, I mean, he doesn't actually look like Boris, but, like, they're very Russian. But he kind of looks like a, like, Nazi? I don't know what this uniform is, but he pushes her out in a wheelchair. And uh, it's... So, they expect Jughead to be their regular delivery boy. Terrible Russian accent, but I think you get what I mean. So, it's... And, like, Jughead's so dumb here. She's like, which one of you is Jughead Jones? And he's like, you know my name? Like, asshole, just be like, he's not here. Neither one of us is Jughead Jones. Pew! And peace the fuck out of there. Um, Because Nazi Boris has a gun that he makes sure to flash to the the boys. Like, So later on, they're at Pops, and they discuss if the Black Hood could be the Riverdale Reaper. Jughead asks, you know, Archie on, like, a cute little date to research the Black Hood and the Riverdale Reaper and see if they're connected. But, aw, Archie has plans with his other friends. He and Reggie are taking Moose to physical therapy. And and he's got plans with Veronica. And Jughead's just so bummed. Ugh, it's so sad. Hmm. So, um, but he's like, Archie offers him a ride home. He's like, no, it's almost visiting hours. I'm going to go see my dad. So in the morning, Jughead visits FP in prison and uh uh-oh, FP is totally fine. It's the same sexy skeet face we're used to. Penny, so we don't even see the rest of that conversation. Just smash cut to Jughead in his trailer with Penny and... Penny's like, yeah, I made up the attack. But then she shows Jughead the clearest cell phone video ever, but it's surveillance video of him and Archie carrying the mystery crate in, and she calls it insurance and plans to make uh, Jughead keep working for her because this bitch is bad. Oh, man. (laughs) I guess FP was right when he said not to fuck with her. Um but apparently FP made a promise to her that he didn't keep and holy shit do I need to know what that favor was oh my god <laughs> I need to know uh, okay so we're gonna move on to this the second segment card titled Josie so first of all hell yeah to Josie get her own storyline yes 
we needed this. This was a long time coming. I love a good Josie heavy episode. Um, so we see her rehearsing music by herself at school late at night. And this is when we meet for the first time, kindly janitor, Mr. Svensson. And, uh, we learn that he lets her stay late and uh oh, it feels weird when she is leaving she hears footsteps and understandably she panics but it's nothing she runs all the way home um but her mom who we all know as mayor mccoy is still very worried she has apparently moved them from their house into the five seasons while the black hood stuff is going on but also because like this is the set that we have and <laughs> and she wants josie home before dark every day and i don't blame her uh cheryl we learned the next day at school, Cheryl has set Josie up with a, um, with a time at a recording studio as a thank you for saving her from Nick, but they want just Josie, no pussycats, which like, uh, the pussycats also beat the shit out of Nick, Cheryl. Maybe you need to, um, get them in on it too, but whatever. Um, just kind of gross. Oh, and a secret admirer is leaving cute slash creepy gifts in Josie's locker. So we see a teddy bear and it's, oof. we think that Chuck Clayton of all fucking people might be that admirer because he asks Josie out and he promises that he's changed his ways. He's taking art classes now and going to church. I mean, we all know that a church going person couldn't dare be a toxic piece of misogynistic shit. Like Chuck was in season one because apparently we've all not ever met anybody ever in our lives, but I digress. The Pussycats find out about Josie's solo recording deal. Um, they confront her in the girls' locker room and kick her out of the band. I kind of don't blame them, but I do feel really bad for Josie. Like, it wasn't necessarily her doing, but she should have been up front with them. Hiding it was her mistake. So, and I just feel like maybe if she had seen the Zack Attack episode of Saved by the Bell, she wouldn't be in this pickle. Anyway, after they leave, she gets scared again at school, but luckily this time it's just Chuck. She asks him to give her a ride home, but he wants to make one stop first. And at first I was like, ooh, Ethel's hot tub? Is that where this is going? Because that's interesting. Gross, but interesting. But no, no, no. He just wants to go to Pops for a milkshake, of course. So they eat and have milkshakes and they even dance at, um, to like a fifties rockabilly tune on the jukebox. And it's so cute. I loved it. I guess Chuck is trying to be a good person now, which is wonderful. Um, I don't think he should be forgiven for the shit that he's done yet. Um, I think he has a lot of work to do to be completely redeemed. But anyway, it's nice that he has stopped his gross ways. Um, but while they're dancing, they get interrupted by Mary McCoy, who is furious that Josie is out, out late, calls her a damned fool. And then she like bitches out Chuck and it's kind of awesome. But then we cut to commercial break. So after we come back, Josie is getting the third degree from her mother. And we learn that not everyone in Riverdale is as woke as we would hope they would be, which is something we've kind of learned already. But anyway, uh, when Mayor McCoy was campaigning to be mayor, she apparently got a lot of threatening letters with terrible words. And God, that just makes my heart sink. So we also learned that the mayor has recently been getting death threats and that the last letter she got included Josie. Ugh, I don't like that. And the sheriff, who is there for some reason unknown at this point, asks Josie if she's received any weird letters or packages, but Josie lies and says no. She doesn't tell them about the teddy bear that she got in her locker earlier. So then the next day when Josie receives a pencil drawing from, from her secret admirer with the, with the caption, um, if I can't have you, no one can. Ugh. Oh, also, in addition to this creepy ass drawing, there's also a wrapped pig's heart. Oh, and this is when we see her and Cheryl bust through Archie and Jughead. Um, but they go into the student lounge and confront Chuck, and he's because um, you know he is after all taking art classes, so like he might be really good at drawing now. 
but he denies it and is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do that. I wouldn't do that, Josie. You know me. And it's like, does she know you? Because we only know that you've been a monster up to this point and like one milkshake doesn't change that. Also, Mr. Svensson seems mighty sketchy because <laughs> he's like, what? And you're like, oh, could it have been him that left the pig's heart? Or is he just upset because like he favors Josie in some way or just because he's a, you know, a janitor or he cares about the kids or whatever. He doesn't want to see anybody get harassed. Um, but whatever. So cut to another fake out like we had last episode where we see Josie rehearsing spooky again, um, in the music, in the music room, presumably at night, but who even knows anymore? Um, we see the black hood walk up behind her with a knife. And then as she turns around, he slits her throat. I mean, it calls back to her mom's letters and it's just, Oh God, thank God though. It was just a dream. Oh, but oh shit. This is where it gets rough. I mean, like seeing Josie's throat get slit was very rough. (laughs) That was, Oh my God. (laughs) But smash cut to Thistle House where Cheryl is listening to Josie's rendition of Spooky and fucking drawing them together. Oh my God. Cheryl is the one who gave Josie a pig's heart. What the fuck? (laughs) Oh, geez. When we go to commercial, it is like a long commercial break. Um, So after we come back, we start... We start the day back over in Jughead's bed with him and Betty canoodling and theorizing about the town murderer, just like as we all did as teens, you know. Um, <laughs> but also, how in the ever-living fuck is Alice okay with Betty spending the night at Jughead's? Like, surely Betty lied and said she was staying at Veronica's or something. I mean, again, like, I just, I don't understand. I need, I need more explanation on, on how she wound up in Jughead's bed. Is that too much to ask for? I think not. Because at the end of last episode, uh, oh, I guess it wasn't the last episode that Kevin got fake killed. Maybe that was two episodes ago. I don't know. In the last one, even though they were back together by, by the end of the episode, Jughead definitely seemed very suspicious of Betty still. He was kind of not okay with her. And to see them, like, all lovey-dovey and in bed together, I don't know. I feel like there's some stuff we missed. But again, blah, blah, blah. Betty can't understand how the Black Hood got into the sheriff's station to shoot Mr. Phillips. She's obviously now convinced that Sheriff Keller is the Black Hood. And we get our final segment card, Veronica and Betty. So, Betty pretends to be interviewing Keller for the newspaper, and he tells her that the Black Hood forced his way in while the deputy was asleep. Who the fuck is this deputy? Barney Fife? Like, you have one job. (sighs) But Betty's not buying it. Veronica thinks he's just having an affair and thinks Betty's theory is crazy. But just in case, she decides to sleep over at Kevin's house to dig around for evidence this sleepover bit is just the best. Oh my God. So Kevin is showing Manhattan socialite Veronica Lodge, Queen Bee herself, The Reckoning, all that shit. This like Settlers of Catan style game he made up. And if you roll a six, you can take over the kingdom of Theodore. Oh my God. Sweet baby nerd Kevin. I just love him. Oh Oh my gosh. I love that, like, the same kid who risks his life to go cruising in the gay woods is the same kid who has his own board game. Like, Kevin has layers, you guys. I love it. Uh, So while Veronica's learning about this, she gets a call from Betty, and she decides to go snoop around Kevin's house under the guise of grabbing a bevy. The sheriff's office is closed. Um, Not the sheriff's office, but, like, his home office the home office in the sheriff's house. Okay, so it's locked. And no, Betty, V does not have a bobby pin, so just don't even. So she decides to go down to the basement where she hears 
Sheriff Keller grunting and finds him lifting weights shirtless. Yes. <laughs> um, he's like massively jacked and it's like, good God, sir. That might be a crime in and of itself. <laughs> but um, she just stands there, kind of lingers for a while, just taking it all in. But then when Betty says something on the other end of the phone, he hears it and turns around and he's like, uh, Veronica? And, oh, geez. It just, I mean, like, Veronica was so right when she said, Archie Andrews, watch her back. Because, I mean, meow. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> so she tries to play it cool, asking him about Kevin's mom, who's in the military and stationed in Bahrain. She actually says, you guys, it must be hard long-ass pause. Mrs. Keller being away. <laughs> so far away while you're under so much pressure. Like, oh my god. Oh my god, that pause. It must be hard. That's what she said. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> so, <laughs> as, as Mr. Keller, or Sheriff Keller, it's weird saying Mr. Keller, but um, he's like, yeah, okay. Kevin has apparently had to get his own damn glass of milk and he busts into Veronica's conversation with his dad and he's like Veronica what are you doing and we never get to see how that like shook out but uh it's great so later in the night she hears something and she spots the sheriff driving away in the middle in the middle of the night so um so she tells Betty about it the next morning at Pop's and Betty notes that in the newspaper, a Southside Jingle Jingle addict was found dead the next day. Hit by a train, sure, but was he pushed by someone wearing a hood? She's just suspicious enough to sneak into the Keller house herself and snoop around. And I love, this is, this is so great. So we see Betty hiding in the bushes, not well. The sheriff leaves. She doesn't wait for him to like actually pull out of eye like you know eyesight and she just runs across the yard and the town sheriff keeps a spare key under a flower pot like a total noob what no way no way in hell so she gets in she breaks into the home office because she is never without a trusty bobby pin she finds a murder board of the black hoods victims in oh shit a black hood oh my god then just then, Sheriff Keller walks in behind her and catches her. Oh, no. Is she next? You guys. Nah. He just called her dad to pick her up. So <laughs> then they're at the station. Um, Keller explains that the hood that she found is the one he took from Archie's locker. He shows Buddy his logbook, which proves that he has an alibi for each of the Black Hood's attacks. It's handwritten by him, guys. She's not convinced, though. And so later on, she and Veronica both stake out Kevin's house in Alice's station wagon. And then they trail Keller as he drives off in the middle of the night. Do these kids ever sleep? So they follow him to a seedy motel where we know it's seedy because there's neon and all the doors are on the outside. Um, so is it the same one maybe where they found a Mustang dead of a like heroin overdose but like he was obviously murdered huh could be anyway so they watch the sheriff get out and he knocks on a door and they're like oh my god is he gonna go in there and kill his next victim but oh no who opens the door super sexy mayor mccoy in like the sexiest nightgown oh my god <laughs> Veronica's intuition was right. They are having an affair. So way to go, Veronica. But I agree with Betty. Like he is super suspicious, especially with the Black Hood being able to get into Mr. Uh, Phillips' cell. So like points to both Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. That's all I'm saying. Back at Pops, Betty and Veronica agree to not tell Kevin about his dad. And Kevin is really betrayed a lot in this episode. Like the sheriff makes a point and he's like, Hey Betty, I'm not going to tell about Kevin about you snooping around on me because you've been a really good friend to him. He's been a really good friend to you. And this would break his heart, but also Veronica using Kevin to get into his house and pretending to like be interested in his board games, which is really sad. And 
you know, it's just, it's just kind of a bummer for Kev. This is when we see Archie and Jughead come in after their bonkers ass night, and Veronica is about to get up and say hi when she realizes that they're having an intense bromant. Yeah, they are. I mean, Jughead is just now asking Archie out on the first date since they were supposed to go on that road trip for the 4th of July. <sighs> All homoerotic kidding aside, I am super not cool at Jughead just, like, getting up and leaving without saying hello or goodbye to Betty. I mean, there's no way he didn't see the girl sitting there. I just feel like he could have been like, hey, it's been a night. I'll call you tomorrow. You know? Um, also, we see uh, Cheryl comforting Josie after her scary dream, but they didn't get enough of a scene to really comment on it. We just know that Cheryl's creeping. We're like, Josie, get away. <laughs> get away. But wait, the show's not over. The diner phone rings. Pop answers it, and it's the Black Hood. He declares that they've failed his test, and they're all sinners. And then Pop very gravely says... The reckoning is upon us. Zoom in on Archie's face and zzz, Riverdale. Wow, guys. What an episode. Okay, so my lunch break is over, like I mentioned. I will be back tomorrow and we will hit segments hard. Also, we're going to talk about the season three trailer that just dropped. We There was one earlier in the summer that dropped at Comic-Con and it was lame as fuck because it was all scenes from season two. There's a new one with all new scenes and holy shit, it is amazing. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. Um, hang tight and I will see you soon. Okay, guys, I'm back. So we're going to start off with our segments. Um, of course, we always start off with the most Archie Comics moment. And I mean, in this one, they wind up at Pops like 74 times. So that's got to be a thing, right? Like everybody goes to Pops at least three times, it seems like. Um, but I think the most Archie Comics moment is Boris and Natasha, right? I mean, those creepy motherfuckers in that warehouse are straight up comic book characters. Like, it's almost like they were illustrated into being alive. Like, I'm amazed that they found actual actors because <laughs> it's so on point. Like, kudos to the costume department, kudos to casting. So perfect, Archie Comics. Okay, so we'll move on to Best Blossom Burn, and holy shit, Cheryl is so fucking creepy in this episode, but obviously, Bert and Ernie is the best insult possible, and like, you know exactly who is Bert and who is Ernie, because if either one of Archie or Jughead has a rubber ducky, it's 100% Archie, and just, oh my god, I love it. Like, that goes down in my, like, top five best Blossom Burns ever in history, or at least in these first two seasons. God knows what's to come. Um, man. Okay, so we'll move on to Good Bad Funnies. Um, my good this week, we really didn't get to discuss this in the recaps, but I found um, my absolute favorite part of this episode is when Archie and Jughead are in the truck and they're headed to Greendale. And then Archie, oh, my baby. He confesses his own Riverdale fan fiction about the core four going to New York after high school. Like, can you believe it? Has there ever been anything so adorable than him, like, somewhat proposing to Jughead that, like, I just always saw after graduation, me and you living in Greenwich Village, you writing, and me you know, playing music, because, oh yeah, Archie's a musician, musician, bleh, um, we kind of forget that this season, but, <laughs> and then, and Jughead's like, uh, okay, what about Betty and Veronica, and he's like, well, I think they'd be roommates on, on, uh, Park Avenue, and like, oh, of course they would, that's the best fan fiction ever, Archie, oh, oh, Archie Kins, I just, that was so sweet, just so darling and so like 16 year old mind like you have this whole vision for how your life's gonna work out and how your best friends in high school are gonna be your best friends forever which is super rare not not a real thing <laughs> um but you're all gonna like go on and live your lives together and everything's gonna be this perfect dream and of course it's in New York City because isn't every teenager's like dream place 
you know, having a loft in, in Greenwich Village, I mean, maybe that's just me because that was 100% what I wanted. Um, like I, I totally chickened out because uh, my parents were like, oh yeah, who's going to move you from Florida to New York? And I should have been like, you know what, fuck off, I'll move myself. But I didn't, I chickened out. But anyway, the teenage dream, not Katy Perry, everybody else's teenage dream, like Archie is so sweet in that moment. I just, I can't even deal. Um, from that, we'll move on to the bad and completely juxtaposed to Archie being the, the best for once. Um, my bad is Jughead this episode. Like, is it just me or is he extra dumb? Like, he's so gullible. He takes Penny at her word that his dad got beat up. And when he's like, I'm not going to traffic drugs for you. And she's like, yeah, you are. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> he just does it. And with uh, the people in the warehouse and he's like, when they're like, who is Jughead Jones? And he's like, how do you know my name? Dude, no. <laughs> and he just gets in the truck with a candy man. I mean, like over and over again. I'm like, how did you not get murdered tonight? How? How did you not get murdered today? It is just unbelievable. My funny, of course, of course, it's, and if you roll a six, you can take over the kingdom of Theodore. <laughs> I snort laugh at that every time. Swear to God, it's just the best. For changes this week, if I were in the writer's room, some changes that I would make. I, like, I actually really like how this episode was formatted with, like, the anthology thing. The one thing, the one change I would make, I mentioned earlier in the first act with the radio show. I just think we can do better than that with the whole gospel thing. Like, I feel like that was a poor choice. And I like to think if I was in the writer's room, I would raise my hand and be like, hey, can we not, can we not villainize African-Americans, please. This seems like a, a bad choice. For my theories, like, there are so many theories to go off here. Like, should we take Keller at his word and believe his handwritten and totally unverifiable log? Should we think Cheryl's in on it from the, like, subtle clues she's dropped where we learn that she's the one putting, like, the teddy bear and the drawings and stuff in Josie's locker and she says something like well maybe it's the black hood isn't he into leaving notes and stuff like I know I know Cheryl's not the black hood but there are some things that tell us maybe she's involved and I'm not spoiling anything but there are just some things that like really gave off that impression to me when I was watching this watching the season for the first time like I was like Cheryl is shady as fuck right now um aside from like going cuckoo bananas and like drawing Josie and giving her a pig's heart and stuff because what the fuck Cheryl um obviously her mental health is not in a great place but still that's that's insane um so we'll move on to Sabrina. I think the trailer might actually be releasing today. So this is Friday, August 31st. Um, I haven't checked yet cause I've been at work since like six o'clock this morning, but I, I kind of think it's coming out today, but you know what released earlier this week? Fucking new trailer for season three of Riverdale. And thank goodness. Cause the first one was a total joke and oh my God, is this new one amazing. And I thought about going over it today, but then I realized like there are spoilers and not everybody is totally caught up yet. So, um, so we're not going to talk about it today because there are some massive spoilers in that trailer. If you are not caught up with the end of season two, do not watch it. Do not look for it on YouTube. You will be spoiled on a lot of things, but in a week or two, um, probably two or three weeks to be quite honest we're gonna have a special episode about the trailer and about a few things and it will hopefully be with friend of the pod Ashley Johnson um and we'll go over it bit by bit because holy crap is there a lot to unpack there like in that gosh 30 seconds maybe even I don't know there is a lot to see there so um very exciting I was very impressed and just so stoked I'm so ready for October 10th We'll move on to Skeet's Dadgram Corner and oh my. 
Hey guys, just a quick note before we go into the Skeets Dadgram Corner. Um, just wanted to let you know that if you're not all the way caught up with the end of season two, you might want to stop the podcast here. The picture that we're going to talk about um, is it's clearly from the filming of, of season three, but it reveals some stuff that happens in season two. So big spoilers if you if you don't want to know anything or have a clue about what happens um, with any storyline, you you might want to just stop now and tune in next week when we'll be back. Thanks, guys. You guys might want to get some fans ready because it is hot. Okay, holy shit. So on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, Machen posted a picture of a very post-coital Allison FP, both very naked, like super naked like we learned that alice's serpent tattoo is on her upper thigh like on her hip and it is huge her caption is looks like alice turned over a new leaf or maybe an old one (laughs) she also has like the kissy face emoji and a snake emoji and like hashtag that godful ship name phallus lives Phallus lives is the real hashtag. It's gross. And Skeet's comment is just amazing. He says, you turned over lots of things. The, the sticky tongue out, the, the emoji with the tongue sticking out, and then a cry laugh emoji, and oh my god. Like, is it is it hot in here? Well, I mean, of course it is. It's August in Texas, but like, oh my god. I need, I need a full glass of water and a fan and like some ice cubes because wow 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 that was that was so hot and so with that epic moment in skeet social media history that will do it for this week's podcast uh be sure to tune in next week when we discover um when we discover good grief when we cover season two episode eight house of the devil it's it's a doozy, so get ready. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review positively, please. If you do have constructive criticism, don't be afraid to share. Just please share it somewhere other than iTunes reviews. Um, all iTunes reviews where you actually say something will be read on the air, aloud on the podcast. If you want to chat, uh, about anything, you can reach me at Sharibi on all socials, um, and that's C-H-E-R-I-E-E-B-E-E. And if you want to email me, like if you don't want your comments or whatever blasted on the internet, I totally get it. You can email us at realhousewivesofriverdale at gmail.com. Until next week, don't traffic drugs or get in vehicles with obvious serial killers. Bye, gang. Please don't you be sleeping when I come creeping down the hall.